Uh, as Brad said, um, uh, I'm J.P. Watson. My wife, Carrie, and I and our four kids, we actually moved out here uh, back in April and uh, moved from North Carolina. So we were coming you know, far from the, from the East Coast and uh, with the idea of starting something new uh, around the Denver University area. So kind of South Denver, like Brad said, sort of North, uh, North Inglewood, South Denver uh, area, and we have uh, we've loved living out here so far. Um, it's been uh, it's been really a joy, and it's been really really great. Uh, miss family and friends back east, but um, but really glad that God has called us out here um, to do uh, to do this work, and we're glad to be with you guys this morning uh, as well. too. the uh, passage that I actually want to look at with you guys this morning is Mark chapter twelve, and we're going to look at verses twenty eight through. Uh, 34. And to sort of set the stage for you, uh, what's going on here is there's this interaction that happens between Jesus uh, and this scribe uh, in this passage. And it seems that these kinds of interactions um, happen on more than one occasion because Matthew and Luke also have an account of a similar kind of interaction but not necessarily exactly the same thing. So it seems that um, the, the writers, uh, Matthew and Luke and Mark, including this kind of interaction that's happening here, uh, there's something that they want us to take away uh, from what's going on between Jesus uh, and, and this individual. So I'm going to read this for us, uh, and then we'll dive in. And this is God's word this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, that's Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. When I was uh, when I was really young, um, one of the uh, one of the things that my family and I would do every Friday night is we would go to my grandparents' house, and uh, and hang out with my grandparents and have dinner with them and just spend time uh, over there at, at their house. And this became Friday evenings became sort of like the most important night of uh, of my week for one reason. I was going to hang out with my grandparents, but for another is that on the way there, we would make a stop by a store called Brindles. Um, and Brindles, they don't exist anymore, um, but they're kind of like, kind of like Walmart, but not near as gigantic uh, as a Walmart. And, and what we would do is we would stop by Brindles, and we would go to the toy section, and we would check out to see what new G.I. Joe figurines had come in. A big G.I. Joe fan. And there was one G.I. Joe character that was, there, there were a few, but there was one that was really, really near and dear to my heart that was really hard to get a hold of, and it was the G.I. Joe figurine of Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes was the best, right? Snake Eyes was this ninja who like dipped in and out, and like you didn't, you couldn't see him coming and stuff like that and everything. And as, as an eight-year-old boy, 
that Friday evening stop at Brendel's and going to my grandparents was the most important thing about, about my life. <laughs> it really was. And, 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 and here's the thing is like as we grow older, some of those things shift. Um, but we all have these things in our lives that we think about are what are the most important things that are going on um, in our lives. And so the ways that we kind of think about that possibly is what gets you excited? What are you excited about? What really like has you passionate about stuff? And you can flip it the other way as well too. Like what worries you? What do you lay awake at night uh, thinking about in bed? What's the most important thing to you? And certainly the events of the last several days out in Boulder County have us coming to grips fresh and new as if a pandemic was not enough with the fragility of life, with the fragility of, uh, of everything, that, that, that everything is vulnerable and everything is broken. And it leads us to ask important questions. <laughs> it leads us to ask the kinds of questions that are like the biggest possible picture questions. And because of all of that, I think that we can get like right at the feet of this interaction here that this scribe has with Jesus. Because this scribe is asking Jesus, what is the most important thing? And there's three things that I want us to kind of think through this morning. One is this, we're going to talk about the question, and then the answer, and then I'll have a few takeaways uh, for us. So let's begin with the question that this scribe asked Jesus. A little bit of background here. Um, This is the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and he's been uh, in, uh, in the temple, in the synagogue, and he's been interacting with all of these religious leaders and everything, and Jesus is like on his way to go to the cross and to die. And he's interacting with these religious leaders, and these religious leaders keep asking him all kinds of questions. And, and, and their questions are really mostly designed to sort of play gotcha with Jesus, to, to, to trap him, to figure out how they can maybe sort of stump the chump, so to speak. And this scribe here in Mark chapter 12 seems to be hearing these questions that these people are asking. And he seems to also be hearing Jesus' responses to these questions and thinking to himself, man, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Now, a scribe is someone who has dedicated their life to studying God's word. So this guy's dedicated his life to studying God's word. All these questions that these people are asking about come from God's word. And the scribe has dedicated the entirety of who he is to studying this. And the way that the religious leaders and everything in the New Testament talks about God's word oftentimes is around this question of commands and law. And so this scribe is a guy who's an expert in the law. He sees Jesus answering these questions about the law, about God's word, and he's impressed with his answers. And he realizes that he has this really deep down itching question that he has, that he doesn't feel like he necessarily knows the answer to, but he's looking at Jesus and thinking to himself, well, maybe maybe this guy does because of the way that he's responding to everything. Think of it like this. I love food. 
Um, and I love cooking food. It's like one of the things that for me is a really therapeutic uh, thing. I don't write. I don't draw. I don't do anything, anything else creative. Um, every five-year-old in here, you can draw better than me, I promise you. Um, but I like to cook. And so the way I kind of think about it is if I were in the presence of uh, one of the, the chefs that I like to sort of model myself after is David Chang. And he's got restaurants all over the place, in New York and D.C. and Las Vegas. And he does kind of like Asian food, fusion slash comfort food. But if I was in the presence of David Chang and in a kitchen with him, it's like that. It's like you have got the guy here. The question that you have that is deep down, that is itching inside of you, this is the guy to ask it to. And the scribe is experiencing the same thing with Jesus right here. And so what does he do? He shoots as high as he can. He asks the biggest possible picture question that he can. And it's sincere. It's genuine. And he risks it. And he asks. And he asks Jesus, verse 28, which commandment, Jesus, is the most important of all? What's the most important thing, Jesus? This scribe, the one who's dedicated his life to studying God's word to studying God's commands, God's law. He aims as high as he can. And he asks Jesus, what's the most important thing? Of everything, like what's the most important thing? And maybe you're here this morning and you're asking those kinds of questions. Uh, The events of the last several days... Again, it's just fresh and, and, and it's right on the tips of our tongues and right centered in our minds and in our hearts. What is the most important thing? It's not hypothetical for you this morning. It's real. It's genuine. It means something to ask this question. What is the most important thing? And what's beautiful about this interaction that we get to see here with the scribes is that Jesus hears this question. And that's true for you this morning, too. Jesus hears your questions. Jesus hears your questions about fragility and brokenness. And when is it going to stop? And Jesus hears the scribe's question here. He hears the nature of it, the sincerity of it, the genuineness of it. It's not like the other questions that Jesus has been getting. The other questions that have been designed to trap him. And what Jesus does with the scribe, what Jesus does with us as well too, is he gives a clear answer to the question of what's the most important thing. It's verses 29 through 31. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus hears this question, the sincerity behind it, and he gives a two-part answer. He says, love God and love your neighbor. And what Jesus is actually doing is he is drawing on these ancient texts. He's actually drawing on stuff from the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament. He's connecting the scribe and connecting us back to the very beginning of things When God gave his people his word, his commands, his law. And it gets summarized for us in ten commandments. 
back in Exodus chapter 20. You might be familiar with some of these. But what Jesus does is he takes the ten and he says, look, I can boil this down to two for you. Part one, love God. Love God with all that you are. Love God in every conceivable way. Give God all that you are. Give him all of your heart. Give him all of your soul. Give him all of your mind. Give him all of your strength. Everything that you have, everything that you are, belongs to God. Give yourself to him unreservedly. Your life belongs to him. All that we have and all that we are belongs to God. This is the most important thing. This is the most important command, is to love God in every possible conceivable way. Give yourself to him. And part two of Jesus' answer is to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is actually connected to part one. You see, you can't separate them out. They actually have to go together. Because the way that we express our love for God is in how we love those he created. Is in how we love those who bear his image in his world. God's image bearers are to love and to care for and to promote the good and the flourishing of one another. And God's word back in Exodus 20 gets really specific about what some of this looks like. It says, like, you're not supposed to murder you're not supposed to take the lives of others. And Jesus actually, in Matthew's gospel, really like drives that down and says, actually, as a matter of fact, you're not supposed to hate people. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to take that which is yours from another. You're not supposed to commit adultery. You're not supposed to take the, the most precious parts of what belongs to others that don't belong to you. And, and it even gets boiled down into this idea of coveting. <laughs> so it's not even your actions, it's your heart and your head and the things that you want and you desire and everything that we are actually supposed to promote the flourishing and the good of others over what we want. And so Jesus is saying, you don't know what the most important thing is? Love God, love your neighbor. The way that gets expressed is don't be angry with people and bitter towards others. Don't be envious of what you don't have and, and, and take what others have. Don't be greedy toward anyone, but actively promote the life and the good of others. There's nothing more important than these things, Jesus says to the scribe. So that's the, the question that the scribe has. That's Jesus' answer to it. I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about a few takeaways that we have from this interaction. The first takeaway for us is this. We are made for relationship with God. We're made for a relationship with God. In 2005, Tom Brady uh, did an interview with a guy named Steve Croft uh, uh, in 60 Minutes. And you can actually go and find this on YouTube. And at this point in time, Tom Brady is coming off of, I think, his second Super Bowl win. Um, he has just gotten married to Giselle. Uh, he's just gotten a new contract, a new NFL contract with millions of dollars. He's also getting endorsement deals all over the place. And Steve Croft, 
looks at Tom Brady and all of his accolades and everything that he has, and he says, man, what else is there? Like, you have everything. You've won two Super Bowls. You're married to a supermodel. You have all the money that you could ever spend in one lifetime. What else could there be? And Tom Brady responds to Steve Croft, and he says, I don't know, but there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. You see, we would maybe look at Tom Brady's life, or I would at least, and be like, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have all of that money and everything to buy whatever I wanted and all, and all of that. And it indicates to us that we actually live in a cultural narrative of self-fulfillment as the most important thing, as the highest value, that we would fulfill self, that life is about self. And that's what Steve Croft is assuming about Tom Brady. That life is about my aspirations and my goals, my wants, my desires. We, the way we encapsulate this is with language like, you do you. Or, whatever works for you. It feels subtle and non-threatening, but the reality is it's very pervasive. It's all over the place. Yet, <laughs> there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Charles Taylor, a uh, Canadian philosopher, and some would consider maybe the, the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, he wrote this gigantic book a number of years ago called A Secular Age, and he picks up on this self-fulfillment narrative that we live in and the effect that it has on us and on society as a whole. And this is what he has to say about this self-fulfillment narrative. He says it's done this. It's created a widespread sense of loss. If not always of God, then at least of meaning. You see what the greatest potential philosopher of the 20th century is saying is that self-fulfillment actually equals loss. That we are missing something not small, but something really, really big. That there is and has to be something bigger than self. That other sociologists and theologians have said that we are actually haunted by this idea of something that is bigger than self, that we can't escape it, that we can't escape the bigger than self. And what Jesus says to the scribe and us here is, yes, there is something bigger than self-fulfillment. There is something bigger than personal pursuits and personal gain, and personal wealth, and personal satisfaction, and personal achievements. And as hard as we try the route of self-fulfillment, it's never enough. It always demands more. There's got to be something more than this. It never pays off in the way that we think that it will. And the truth is, we're all tempted towards this. We're all tempted towards self-fulfillment. What's the most important thing to you? If I'm honest with myself, oftentimes money is the most important thing to me. And I think to myself, if I just had more of it, then everything would be fine. And everything would be easy and there would be no hardships in life. Or I think to myself, if I was just smarter... 
If I just knew more, if I was just more intelligent, if I was just more academic sounding. And yet, there's still this deep insecurity. There's not enough books for me to read. There's not enough smart ways for me to talk. It never is enough. What about you? What's the most important thing to you? Where do you find yourself running to to fulfill self above anything else? And here's what's true. is Jesus actually cuts right to our hearts. Jesus cuts right to our hearts and he says, You are made for something bigger than yourself. You are actually made for a relationship with God. You are made for a relationship with the one who made you and created you. And if you miss this, if we miss this, everything else will ultimately feel hollow and empty. You see, Tom Brady's on to something. There is something more. And we are haunted by this. We are actually made for a relationship with God. That's takeaway number one. Our second takeaway is this. Not only are we made for a relationship with God, we're actually made for a relationship with each other, too. You see, that's what Jesus is getting at when he says to love God and to love neighbor. This neighbor love thing that Jesus talks about here. And this, too, I think, grates against us in a lot of ways as well. Because I feel more and more my own temptation towards this, but also a world in which we're living in where love is defined as unqualified affirmation. That love is that you're supposed to just affirm me and, and never have any pushback toward me about anything in my life. But you're just supposed to say, hey, that is awesome. Whatever it is that you want to do, whoever it is that you want to be, Go, go be it, and that is fantastic. Unqualified affirmation. A few years ago, I had a young man who came to see me when we were pastoring in North Carolina, and he opened up to me that he had, as a young teenager, he had actually discovered that his, that, that his dad was having an affair. Um. And that his dad came to him and told him that if he said anything to his mom, that that was going to destroy their life. And so this young 14-year-old boy held the weight of that. And naturally, you're going to run to things to try and numb that. And so at the age of 14, he found himself um, binging on alcohol, which led to drugs, which led to methamphetamines, which led to an addiction to heroin by the time he was 16 years old. And he was coming to me because he was struggling with this addiction. And let me tell you guys something. The worst thing that I could do for him is just say, you do you, man. If you are here this morning and you've ever been involved in the life of someone who is addicted to something, you know that love cannot be unqualified affirmation. That love has to be thicker than that. That it cannot be that shallow. That it has to be deeper than unqualified affirmation. You see what Jesus is talking about here, what neighbor love calls us to, is to actually open ourselves up and to let people in. 
to really, truly, genuinely, sincerely to open ourselves up to one another. Do you do this? Do you have thick, deep relationships like the relationships that Jesus is talking about here? The kinds of relationships where you're open to hearing that's hurting you. And it's hurting others. And you're destroying your family and your friends and yourself. That the 60 hours a week that you're working is taking you away from your kids and they need you at home. And your wife needs you too. That you're bent towards achievement and success at the expense of everyone else is leaving you absolutely and utterly siloed off and alone and without any friends. Are you in the kinds of relationships where people can actually say those things to you? Are you in the kinds of relationships where you love other people enough to where you would risk it to say that to someone else? It goes both ways. We do this in our parenting so often. We tell our kids, I love you too much to just let you lie about that. (laughs) I, I, I love you too much to just let you do that. I love you too much but to, to just let you hurt your sister like that. And what's beautiful too is that God gives us kids to do it back to us too. And sometimes our kids will risk it enough to say to us, Dad, you know, sometimes I think that you're really angry at yourself, but you take that out on us. Are you in those kinds of relationships Do you have those kinds of relationships? Are you here and you're asking questions about Jesus this morning? You're like the scribe. You're genuinely, sincerely coming and opening yourself up. Are you open to hearing possibly that the foundation that you're building is not going to work? That maybe you're even hurting yourself and others. Are you willing to consider that this morning? For everyone here... I'm sure. I've felt, I've felt this. My, my neighbor, literally right across the street from me, he lost his childhood home that he grew up in with the fires. And his parents don't have a home anymore right now. Have the events of these last several days, do you just feel paralyzed? Do you feel angry? Are, are, are you, you looking for comfort from loss for your friends, for your neighbors? How do I, you're asking the question, how do I love my neighbor in this? Like, what does this look like? Might I suggest that it's actually these very real feelings of helplessness and paralysis and fragility that actually drive us back to how we are deeply made for a relationship with God. And with others. Because here's the deal. We can help alleviate material burdens. And and, and bring back stuff. And that stuff is really, really important. But I have a hunch. That what we have to offer more than those things is ourselves. Our shoulders to cry on. Our tears to weep with one another. As we process through significant loss. And fragility and brokenness, and a desire to see all things made new, no matter who you are or where you're coming from.
We are made for relationship with each other. The most important thing, loving God and loving neighbor. And Jesus actually elsewhere in a similar interaction in the Gospel of Luke, he takes this whole loving neighbor thing to a, to, to a whole other level. He tells this parable of this guy who's walking along a road and he's, he's beaten up like within an inch of his life and everything's taken away from him. And he's a Jewish guy. And there are several Jewish people who walk by him on this road and they see him and they pass on because they don't want to deal with this guy. And then here comes along this other guy. He's called a Samaritan. And this Samaritan is not Jewish. As a matter of fact, Samaritans in Jesus' day were sort of seen as like half-breeds. Like that, literally, that's how they were talked about. We're talking about human beings here, right? And this Samaritan comes along and passes this guy within an, who's been beaten within an inch of his life, who in most other circumstances would revile the Samaritan. And he picks him up and he puts him on his horse. And he takes him into the town, and he takes him to get his wounds healed and cared for and everything, and then he looks at the innkeeper and he says, look, his bill is on me. You see, Jesus actually takes this neighbor love to a totally different level because Jesus actually calls us to love our enemies. Jesus actually calls us to love those that we might even detest, not just the people that we like. That Jesus is actually calling us to cherish everyone that we meet to want and desire and to actively pursue the good of everyone that we meet. And so this takes it to a different level for us. Are we building relationships with people that aren't like us? Who might not value the same things that we do? Are we building relationships with people that we even disagree with and that disagree with us? Can we live in that kind of space? Jesus compels us to. Or... Do we just get angry and bitter and silo ourselves off and put ourselves in this echo chamber where all we receive is unqualified affirmation? Jesus is actually calling us to pray for God to give us a heart for even those that we might detest. And that brings us to our last takeaway because all of that stuff feels really impossible. Our last takeaway this morning is just simply Jesus. Jesus. You see, we can't miss Jesus here. Because the other two takeaways are dependent on Jesus. Being made for relationship with God and being made for relationship with each other is totally dependent on Jesus. You see, the scribe here, as Jesus gives his response, he responds to Jesus and says, You know what, Jesus, you're right. That is the most important thing. And Jesus looks at him again, and I can imagine this, like he looks right into his eyes, and he sees the sincerity with which the scribe has responded yet again, and he looks at him and he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You see, what's underneath all of these questions that Jesus has been receiving, not just from the scribe, but from all the other religious leaders, is this idea that we can somehow figure out a way to achieve and to earn our way to the most important thing. And Jesus looks at him and says, you kind of want to know what to do. And what I want you to know is that it's not so much about what you want to do, but about who you belong to.
You want to know what can I do to have a relationship with God? What can I do to have a relationship with my neighbors? And what I want to tell you is the most important thing that undergirds all of those things is actually who you belong to. You're not far from the kingdom, but the only way into the kingdom is through me. That's what Jesus is communicating to him. And I don't know about you, but I like to earn my way too. So I feel like I can put myself right here at the scribes' feet yet again. And at these religious leaders' feet yet again. Because I like the idea that I can somehow achieve my way into God's good favor. That I can somehow achieve my way into good relationships with my neighbors. And Jesus looks at us and he says, it's not about earning your way. You can't do it. You can't do it. I fail to love God all the time. I fail to love the people that live under my own roof, much less the people outside of my roof, all the time. And Jesus says, it's not about what you do, but about who you belong to. And we have to get into Jesus. We have to get into Jesus. None of us has perfectly loved God and loved neighbor. Jesus is the only one who has. (laughs) Jesus is the only one who has truly and fully and unreservedly loved God. And he's the only one who has truly and fully and unreservedly loved you and me. Even his enemies. By going to the cross, which is what he is about to do. Following this conversation with this scribe, it will not be long that Jesus will go to the cross And wholeheartedly give himself to you and to me. Even to death. For his enemies. For a people bent on (laughs) self-fulfillment. For a people bent on achieving and earning our own way. For a people who only really deeply want unqualified affirmation at the end of the day. I don't like it when people tell me that I'm wrong. I don't know about you. Jesus actually gives himself to us. He doesn't just give of himself. He wholeheartedly and fully gives himself to us openly without holding anything back and even becoming our failures for us. The only way to true, deep, thick relationships with God and with neighbor is when we receive what Jesus has done for us and we follow him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection that rescues us from this plight that we, were, we are in and makes sense of all of the haunting that we have around us, that there is something that is bigger than self. Jesus actually makes sense of that and says, yes, my life, my death, my resurrection, that is where life is had. That is where life will be and will always be. And it actually even motivates us to want the kind of life that God wants for us. The kind of life that is not just about self and self-fulfillment, but is about living outwardly for God and for others. And caring for one another. And being willing to risk it and to open up and to enter into deep, vulnerable relationships. Knowing that what he has done will always undergird any risks that we might take with one another. Because he's the one who's given himself for us. What's the most important thing? I would wager to you that Jesus says the most important thing is to receive me.
is to receive him, to receive what he has done, and to follow him, to place your life in his hands, whether you're doing that for the first time or the thousandth. It's still the same. He has fully, truly, deeply, without reservation, given himself for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your one and only Son. And that Jesus, you came and you, you willingly entered into the brokenness and the fragility and entered in even to our own sin and our pride and our desires to please and to serve self above everything else. And you gave yourself for that. You laid down your life that we might die to self and live with you. And so we pray this morning that you, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts to receive Jesus and to follow him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Like many of you, um, Hannah and I on, wow, that's been a blur. I guess this was Friday, whenever the fires happened in earnest. Like many of you, we were packing just to make sure, just in case we had to evacuate. And we've never had to think about that before because we're from the Midwest. Tornadoes are a thing, but you don't go anywhere when those come. You go into the basement. You don't leave your house, right? We've never had to think about that before. And so we're throwing stuff into bags, and you know, we thought about, and you know, we grabbed our passports and made sure all of our phone and laptop and everything was charged so we could communicate with people if we needed to. We just had no idea what to expect. I thought about grabbing my guitar, maybe both of them, briefly. It wasn't until well after we realized that the evacuation was not going to happen for us that I realized it hadn't even occurred to me to grab my family's 150-year-old family Bible. My heart sank because I'm like, I'm thinking in terms of like dollars, like what is expensive that can fit into a car? But those aren't necessarily the most important things. Also, while JP was preaching, a friend of Hannah and I's slept on our couch that night because he had to evacuate. He lived in, you can tell where I'm going with this by the past tense, lived in Louisville. He lost everything. And while JP... While he was preaching, our friend sent us a picture. He had gone back to... He was able to get back to his house. There's nothing. Just some bricks. And he found his dad's dog tag from World War II. His dad was his hero. My family Bible, our friend's dog tag, our friend's dad's dog tag, and this table have, those three things all have something in common. That what makes it important is the relationship. My family Bible, I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't know we had a family Bible, never mind one that the first date of weddings and deaths were recorded in 1870-something, right? But I've when I learned that halfway through seminary, I realized that God had been pursuing me for a very long time. 
This dog tag represented a very small pinprick of light in the midst of a lot of darkness our friend has been going through lately. And it didn't matter. The other things didn't matter. It was the thing that reminded him of his father. We had to face potential loss. Our friend had to face almost complete and total loss. But Jesus gave up everything because we are his family Bible and his dog tag. We are the thing that is the most important thing to him. And on the night that he was betrayed, he was with his friends and he said, this bread is my body and it will be broken for you because I would break, I would be broken so that you'd be made whole. He took the wine after dinner, he poured it out, and he said, this blood is the blood of the new covenant. That's a fancy theological way of saying that I promise to eradicate whatever it is that stands between me and you, and I will pursue you, and I will love you no matter what. To prove that to you and to effectuate it, I give you my life so that I could spend eternity with you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, he said, you proclaim my death until I return, until I return to make that promise fulfilled. If that is your hope, even just a little bit, and unlike Danny, I sometimes not as good at choosing optimism for the new year, despite how helpful the arbitrary social uh, mile marker is. It doesn't matter how hard that hope is to feel right now. The act of coming up here to take that is enough. And God will nourish you in the midst of that.